Thanks for calling the Midnight Drive-In. No one is here to take your call. For more info, check out the Midnight Drive-In on Twitter at MNDriveInPod or find us on Facebook. If you want to email us, send it to TheMidnightDriveIn at gmail.com. Remember, no outside food and drink. Anyone caught performing sexual acts at the drive-in will immediately be taken to the office. Unspeakable things will be done to you. Thanks for calling. Drive away your worries and cares at this drive-in theater. That's why, to familiarize you with the movie rating symbols which will be used by this theater, we present the following guide for parents and young people. X, no one under 17 admitted. So why don't you tell everybody where you got your new cat from? Uh, yeah. So we went to Char's mom's house for Char's birthday, since it's this weekend and we're already got plans. And as we were leaving, we had gone out to go for a ride, got back to the house, and this poor little kitten runs up to us, and it's sick as shit, like its eyes are all covered in goop, and it's screaming, and and her mom is kind of a crazy cat lady, so we just assumed one of the cats had had kittens and had brought another kitten, but there were no other kittens, (laughs) so we were trying to figure that shit out, uh... And finally, I was like, well, we have to take this thing to the vet because if it's got distemper or something, it's going to die. And as we're getting ready to leave, these two kids come walking up. And apparently they had found the kid, the kitten in a ditch by the side of the road with no mother cat in sight and no one else around. So knowing that Bonnie is resident cat lady, they brought the kitten there and just dumped it. Mm. I mean, it's not an unfeasible thought. Yeah, just assume the crazy cat lady has so many cats that if you just put one or more there, it'll just automatically get taken care of, and nobody will know it's a... Nobody will even know there's an extra cat. So I took it... No questions asked. I was going to say, so I took yesterday off and took this cat to the vet and had been feeding it and all that kind of stuff. It's real little. It's maybe three weeks. It's way too young to have been away from its mom, but they can already eat solid food, so... That's a good thing. And then I was going to rehome it, but now I love it, so it's staying. Curse, curse me in my heart. Uh, that's your problem. You should just be a, uh, a grouch that doesn't care about anything. And uh, you won't have to worry about such things. Yeah, I'm trying to come up with a good name for it. I haven't decided yet. I'm thinking trash goblin. What? I like that name? No, the name's fine. It's just. (laughs) Did you adopt any new pets this week, Doug? No. Because, I mean, you got a kid. No, Noah's got a kitten. So, I mean, you're pretty much on equal, equal footing right now. Yeah, this is the same thing. Yeah. They they are identical. My cat mews occasionally in the middle of the night. It's a great disturbance to me. My kid's gonna want to go to university when he gets older and it's gonna cost like hundred and fifty thousand dollars. So 
See? The exact same. <laughs> yeah, you just tell them what my parents told me. Well, yeah, better start saving money now or get a scholarship. Well, I told him that. He doesn't know what scholarship means yet, though. Well, he's falling behind. Screwed. Yeah, who needs college anyways? Let's face it, the whole world's going to collapse before that happens. It's plausible. Truth. Yeah, there's no way we had our big election up here. So. Oh, yeah? Yeah. No, nah, I don't pay attention to your crazy politics. We got enough of our own down here. It's insane. We went through a, we went through a whole big long election thing. Absolutely nothing's changing. So <laughs> that's not listen. true. There was a minor parliamentary shift in power. Yeah, I think the Quebec Separatist Party lost one of its seat to the far left party. So there you go. Something like that. Some dude threw rocks at our prime minister. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Did he did he did he apologize after each one? No. He's like sorry, and then threw another one. Sorry. No, the the prime minister ended up apologizing because <laughs> he turned to the guy and he said something like, "Don't you have a hospital you should be protesting in front of?" <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, that's offensive enough to warrant an apology up here. So. I wish we had those problems. Because Trudeau is back in uh, tentative power, right? Isn't that the whole thing? Yeah. Mm. Yeah, cha- nothing changed. It'll just be a bunch more years, and then we'll do this again. <laughs> he's, well. he's all right. He's all right. I, th- I think that's the thing about Canadian politics. All your politicians are like, just meh. Which would, a lot be, of them so, which would be so great. <laughs> Yeah, like we have like the insane right wing party here, but it got like four percent of the vote or something, so it's fine. Well, the election was probably stolen, so probably that is the go to now. Are you guys allowed to vote by mail? Uh, stolen. I don't. I don't know actually. <laughs> I did early voting. Stolen so, for sure. Stolen for sure. Yeah. Yeah. The same party has represented my area for like I don't know, sixty years or something, and they still do, so I don't I don't I don't know if they need to steal anything. I'm not even sure why they campaign. It doesn't matter, it's still stolen. Last year was the first year I ever voted by mail, and I'm just like, why do I not do this every time? I didn't I didn't vote by mail, but I did the uh early voting thing where they mail you the ballot and then you just drop it off in a box mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't know why we're not all voting online yet I know in parts yeah. of Canada you can not, I don't think you can in our federal election I don't know Maybe I was going to say I know in Nova, elections or something. in Nova Scotia it, yeah it, it must be provincial elections or municipal or whatever but we still have to go in and like draw an X on a sheet of paper <laughs> but I don't I don't understand how like banks can make all every dollar that goes through the world now is processed online but we can't do elections doesn't make sense Mm-mm. true no no too easily corruptible all right but you know it's not corruptible i'm Were- werewolves <laughs> or or are they the most corruptists 
I don't know. I don't know how this how this segue is supposed to work. And I can lie to you though. It's, you you dropped the ball here, Brian, because the werewolf is very corrupt in this particular movie. And <laughs> I think it's the only corrupt werewolf I've ever seen in a movie. I was I was gonna say if you were going with the the corruption angle, shouldn't you have went with the, the evil prison warden? Yeah, you could have easily transitioned into the other movie. You dropped the ball, Brian. Well, someone are. else, someone else, take the reins. I'm just trying to get this show on track. You really fucked this up, Brian. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> All right. Well, Noah, why don't you ask your kitten to uh, give us a rundown of Project Metal Beast? Uh, so, Project Metal Beast. I said your kitten. Oh, hold on. <laughs> oh no, she's playing. She has no interest. I guess right. it's a he. I should I stop misgendering my cat. I guess you'll do then. Uh, so Project Metal Beast is its own sequels. It's its own sequels? <laughs> yes, because somewhere buried in this movie is clearly three separate movies that they just didn't want to write. So they just did all three of them at once. Okay. Uh, movie cool. number one is about a group of commandos hunting a werewolf in Hungary. Yeah, uh, they kill said werewolf at the end of movie one, which lasts five minutes in this script. <laughs> then they in the sequel, one of the guys from the group decides that uh, the only way to become the soldier of the future is to inject yourself with that sweet, sweet werewolf blood. And then he goes on a rampage on the base and they take him out. And that's movie two. And that is the next 10 minutes of this movie. <laughs> And then the third movie, they it's 20 years later and uh, crazy military research guy lies to a bunch of people who have come up with a project to create artificial human tissue, uh, which is made out of metal for some reason. Yeah, the, the science doesn't hold up. But yeah, <laughs> okay. it, doesn't, it, it doesn't make any fucking sense, but uh, it has an issue where it hardens. And while causing the the thing it's hardening on incredible pain, also makes it nearly indestructible. And so this guy's like, you know what I can do? Give him this sweet, sweet werewolf corpse and get me a metal skinned werewolf that I can surely control. Even though it's the same guy who just tried to murder a bunch of people. and I've done nothing to change that. I was going to ask you guys if I missed something nope. because I'm like, how come he thinks he can control him now, but he couldn't control him 20 years ago. Nope. Doesn't make any sense. Uh, uh, and he thinks he can control him and then act surprised when, uh, when everything goes awry. Yeah. yeah. So, so I was going to say, so movie three is like split into two sections. We've got the first section, which is kind of the mystery of, Oh my God, this thing's coming back to life. And then his weird, slow, transformation which is kind of freaky and pretty cool and and then the last quarter of the movie is of course a super metal album version of a mechano werewolf hunting everybody down and fucking them up uh, in which their only recompense is to build a mini bazooka that shoots silver shells I don't know if you did something but your mic suddenly got way better I don't know. I, 
I did absolutely nothing, but, but that's what, what happened there is that he talked about a bazooka that shoots silver shells at a robot werewolf, and his mic just naturally fixed itself to make sure everybody would hear that properly. It must it must just be the joy, the joy radiating from me whenever I explain to people that the, the resolution of this movie to kill a bulletproof werewolf is the silver bazooka. It's the fucking 90s, man. They're just like, what's not extreme enough? Werewolves aren't extreme enough. What if we made one into a robot? Yeah. All right. How are we going to kill it? Blow it the fuck up. Of course. Of course you do. <laughs> fucking 90s, man. I was going to say, so I don't know how you guys are on this movie, but um, me personally, this movie is just the most delightful blend of just uh, low rent garbage and and fucking awesome werewolf movie. Um, I, I, yeah, I don't disagree with that assessment. I think you and I have different views on how much we enjoy low rent garbage. Oh. <laughs> that's, that's probably true. Just, like, I do like so so metal werewolf. I'm a huge fan of that design, but I actually like the werewolves from the beginning of the movie because so they're so. We'll say it's bad. They're bad werewolves, but. 99% of all werewolf movies are bad werewolves, so that's not a, necessarily a big thing. But to me, they look like a, a WWE professional wrestler that's decided to do a werewolf theme. Because they're, like just, they're just way too bulky. Fair enough. I, Seems yeah, about right. I, I, that opening scene with the commandos hunting the werewolf got my hopes way up for this movie. Because like I'm okay, so we're just fuck everything. We're just we're told through like the cheesy writing on the screen in like that military style. We're like, okay, werewolves exist. The military's gonna find one, try to make a super soldier out of it. No problem. That's the starting point for this movie. That's the, before anything happens. That's what they give us. And I'm like, all right, I can get behind that storyline. And then they're like, as they're hunting the werewolf, it's it becomes obvious that everybody in this movie just knows werewolf exists. <laughs> They're all fine with it. Cause like, even after they, like the one guy, the one commando is killed and his partner just puts a silver bullet in his head. Like, Oh, I don't want that guy coming back and being a werewolf, which is kind of fucking weird when you consider the fact that they're trying to make werewolf soldiers. So wouldn't that guy come back and be a werewolf soldier, <laughs> but you know, whatever I, I, I was down with that opening sequence. I like agree basically with what Noah said, I like the look of the werewolves. It's not quote unquote good, but for direct video nineties, it's pretty right. fun to look at. You know what Bulky, I mean? Like buggy ass werewolf. You, you have to, you have to judge on a scale when you're watching a direct video movie from the nineties, you cannot expect it to be great special effects and they were fine. They, they looked all right. So I was like, I was super into this movie during the what Noah describes as the first movie. I really enjoyed that part. Noah's <laughs> <laughs> uh, buzzing microphones back. Yeah, because I was happy about something and that reduces me, his joy. I, just, <laughs> I, I do not know how to express so much that absolutely nothing has changed. I have touched nothing. I have moved mm -hmm. nothing. It's fine. It's fine. Is your wife doing something? She got the microwave on. I don't know. It's it, yeah. It's got to be something. It's got to be like electricity going through the building. But this is a USB microphone, so the power going through it. Shit, I don't know. Yeah. I apologize to everyone listening. This is just, sorry. Everybody just blame Noah, like usual. Yeah, I think they were all. They all knew that. Um, 
But anyways, yeah. So after that first sequence where they catch the werewolf and they bring it back and then we get like him injecting the werewolf blood, which is stupid as shit. But again, <laughs> direct video 90s movie, I'm rolling with it. When they when they put him into cryogenics, I'm like, what the hell is going on? Why are we going into cryogenics in this movie about a werewolf? Like, that doesn't make any sense to me. And then that's when the movie, in my opinion, has its its problem, which is that's where it starts to think it's a movie and not direct video schlock. Because during the next, I, I want to say, 40 minutes of the movie, there's way too many scientists just talking to each other. And it's like, mm-hmm. just everyone shut up. If there's, you guys know there's a, there's a werewolf. Like, cause they do that thing where that when they thaw out the body, they pull out the silver bullets and he starts to gradually regenerate. And I'm like, that's a cool idea. Let's make the whole movie be about that. Why are these guys over here arguing about politics and other shit? Like I, I don't need to see these scientists playing poker. None of that matters. <laughs> that's not what kind of movie this is. So I, I struggled with the middle part of this movie. I have to say that. I don't know. Did you guys have that problem or no? Were you just enjoying it because it was shitty dialogue and bad acting and therefore you enjoyed it? <laughs> well, I'm actually I'm actually on Doug's side. Like, I think anytime a werewolf is on screen, like an actual werewolf, not somebody who will become a werewolf, I think it is awesome. Werewolf yeah. stuff. Anytime there's not a werewolf on screen... I'm bored out of my mind. Yeah, it's it, it's just because the it's because the dialogue is poor and the acting is poor and the filmmaking is poor, and that's why. Because otherwise, <laughs> uh, no, no, like, no, good sir. Almost all of the acting is piss poor, except for some reason they tricked Barry Bostwick into being in this fucking movie. <laughs> yeah, he's very acceptable. He's, right. he's still not good. It's just confusing. It's confusing. Every time he pops up on screen, you're like, seriously, how the fuck did they get Barry Bostwick to be in this movie? It was that glorious era when direct-to-video movies had a little bit of budget. It was weird. And then, yeah, at the end, when, like, when the werewolf pops back up and he's now got his metal skin and shit, at that point, like, it's very, very difficult for a movie to pull this off. But I was bored. And then every time they'd go back to the where the guy had like the werewolf body laying on the bed, like, and they'd be bleeding or they'd show the metal starting to form on his skin and shit. And I'd kind of go, okay, I see where this is going and I want to see that. And when he finally popped up and it's Kane Hodder in a fucking metal werewolf suit, tossing people around and killing people. I'm like full on excited again, which is very, very hard to pull off when you come from being bored to being excited again. <laughs> the, uh, the scene where he's whenever he first goes full metal werewolf, you know, he kills that guy in the lab yeah. and then she opens the door and he's standing there and she quickly shuts the door like it's a fucking cartoon. <laughs> but uh, he, there's this scene of him tearing through the door and it's like a fucking tinfoil door. You know, yeah. <laughs> but. God damn it, it's so good. It's just so fun. All the man. werewolf, yeah, all the werewolf bits are so fucking good. And I yeah. think they're good enough that you should forgive the fact that this is a dog shit movie besides <laughs> that. Like, I mean, it's... not everyone can be me and enjoy the dog shit parts as much as the good parts. But 
it really is worth watching this. Yeah, no, I, I actually agree with that. I think it's like there would be a temptation to turn this movie off in a, in a streaming world where you're probably not going to pay to see these. I watched it through Tubi. I don't know how you guys saw it, but most people who watch this are not going to be paying for it, right? So there is a tendency to turn movies off. It's not like the old days where you're like, fuck it, I paid three ninety nine for this. I'm going to watch the whole thing. Um, what, was so, the, what was the video quality like? On TV? It yeah. was fine. Because so, I watched it on YouTube, and uh, if you want to feel like you're back in the '90s watching uh, <laughs> uh, very, very run out uh, VHS on a tube TV, that's the perfect way to watch it. Yeah, okay. it's got it's got that uh, gentle blur to it. Yeah, it's you can tell it's still it's shot with the old school technology. Mm-hmm. It's not been given a great upgrade or anything like that the way some movies have. But I also feel like if you gave this movie a real good 4K restoration, it would be a worse movie for it. I agree. <laughs> well, and, and, and like I, I made this comment to someone on the Instagram page that was asking about this movie, and I'm like, you have to remember it's direct to video 90s. It's not direct to video 80s, which is a total different schlock thing. And it's not like modern day made for streaming service stuff which is actually made with a budget and is good it's that weird area of the 90s where it's schlocky and it's you know you're only supposed to be watching this on vhs so the effects are done in a way that it's good enough that it'll look good on vhs but like what noah's saying what if you gave it a 4k all the you'd be start to see the zippers and the suits and shit if you yeah. did that like you you don't want that that's and it's not their fault. They didn't know that technology was going to be better in the future. They made it for, you know, based on the budgets they had and the audience they were going for at the time. And I think they, like, I think they kind of nailed it with the werewolf parts. I just wish it was more heavily weighted to werewolf. I wish they could have had, you know, if they just had Kane Hodder on set for three extra days to film him kill two or three more people and just edit out some of the talking and the poker game and the whatever else that goes on. Yeah. In in their defense, I think they tried. I think that's why we get the my my three movie uh, theory of this that they just found an excuse to put to werewolf attack movies at the beginning of this movie because they knew it was going to be a while before he was uh, metal beast, but that, the middle, the middle fucking drags. I, I really wish they could have like, if you just start at the part where they're doing cadaver surgery and it starts to come back, and you just dedicate the first, I don't know, fifteen twenty minutes of the movie or whatever to this dude slowly coming back. You find out about evil military guy's objective to create a super soldier, and then you get whatever's left of this film, you know, 90 minutes or whatnot of just metal werewolf, just fucking people's lives up. That would have been better. Well, you could even re-edit this movie where you put some of the boring shit at the beginning and then do the stuff with the, with the first werewolf attack from, from 20 years ago. You do that as a flashback in the middle in order to be able to like, just edit some normal werewolf stuff into your me- you're a metal werewolf movie and you might be better off rather than having all of that boring shit in the middle. I don't know. Did I mention silver bazooka people? God damn. <laughs> it's it's there. There has not there. Uh, the only other movie I can think with an ending as majestic as a, a silver shelled bazooka. 
is the blowing up the fucking snake at the end of Hard Ticket to Hawaii with a rocket launcher from the <laughs> way. <laughs> it's the same. It is the same. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the whole idea is just genius. Um, I don't like it's the kind of stupid idea that a 14 year old could come up with. But there's nothing that beats it. Like, I guarantee you there was a, a meeting where they were writing this script and somebody was like, what if we just made like a bigger silver bullet, like from Bazooka or something? And everybody was like, nah. And then like, who's got something better? And nobody could come up with anything better because there isn't anything better. <laughs> it's like the perfect ending to a schlocky B movie about a werewolf that gets turned metal. Sound the opposite. I imagine that that meeting was just a whole bunch of uh, low rent filmmakers just ripped out of their gourd on cocaine and they're all just going yeah man fucking silver bazooka bitch but let's let's be honest this is a direct video movie from 1995 there there was no meeting there was there was no meeting <laughs> there was there's no group of, of minds coming together to formulate this project it was we have this much budget. You're in charge of hiring one actor that people have heard of. Somebody hire a guy that can make a, a werewolf suit and then later spray paint it so it looks metal. I don't. There's a, and there's only one thing. So I kind of get the look of the metal werewolf suit. But just for style points, they gave it like porcupine quills coming out of the back of its head for no reason. Yeah. I don't understand the metal dreadlocks. Like, what part of metal skin translated into it's, metal dreadlocks it doesn't make sense at all it's kind of like in movies where people go invisible and their clothes also go invisible like this is skin they're putting on him well why isn't it just under all his fur then and you just don't see it at all that's what that's what technically should happen right you should just be looking at a normal werewolf but then if you like push some of the fur aside you find the skin underneath his metal yeah head. none of it makes sense you don't don't think about it you're not meant to think about it just think just think werewolf but more extreme because it's the 90s and things need to be extreme that's right and this is one of the the rare exceptions to my my hate of 90s movies this is some good garbage well this because this is a completely different thing right the the complaints we've had about 90s movies in past weeks have been heavily based on like your bigger budget movies right that have that certain feel to them. This, the direct-to-video market in the 90s was a completely different thing, right? It was a, just a, a totally different filmmaking style. Yeah, overproduced slashers where the killer is somebody who was wronged at the beginning of the movie. Yeah. That's the entire 90s. Yeah, well, the, the latter half of the, some of them are good. But, I don't know, is, is there much left to say about Project Metal Beast? What a, what a great fucking name for a movie, too. A project. Yes. Colon, Metal Beast. <laughs> but, uh, it makes you want to watch it. I don't know how I've never seen this before, to be honest. Because if I'd walked by something called Project Metal Beast in the video store, I would have rented it in 1995. So I don't know. It's a I, miracle to me that I'd never seen this. I only know this movie exists because I do believe I saw it in the middle of the night on Cinemax one time. Okay. Seems like the perfect, uh, perfect place to watch that movie. Yeah, because while I, I wasn't, I would have said huge... I was gonna, I would have said it would have been USA up all night or something like that. But I remember all yeah. the blood being intact, and there isn't. 
I mean, there isn't a ton of blood in this movie, but USA would have no. edited the shit out of it. I was thinking, even though I didn't, like, absolutely love it, I think if I saw this in, like, a missionary um, or riff track setting, like, it would be... Like, I would, my love for this movie would have been a lot more. Yeah. Well, I definitely think, yeah, too, like, if this was... If you, you rented this movie in 1995 and you rode your bike home from the video store and it's like you and your buddies in your parents' basement and you it's the only movie you have to watch that night because people hadn't really started collecting VHS yet at this point, right? So it's like, this is what we're watching tonight. Everybody get the popcorn or whatever. It's there would be a certain amount of joy that would come from watching this just because the werewolf stuff is so good. And I think it'd be the kind of movie that you'd recommend to people now. And they'd be like, what about all the boring parts? And you'd be like, I don't know. I was, I was a teenager in 1995 and I forget all the boring parts. I only remember the werewolf parts, you know, um, the, the, the movie is perfect for what it is for the era. It came out in for the idea of like cool title draws the attention of teenage boys who rent it and bring it home and watch it and love all the werewolf parts and talk to each other about how cool the werewolves are during the talkie parts. Agreed. Um, well, Doug, do you want to tell us about prison? I can try. It's a little harder to explain. Um, <laughs> Not as easy as a, a metal werewolf thing. No. Um, so I mean, it's, it's a haunted asylum movie instead of, yes. prison instead of an asylum. Yeah, it, it's, this is, of course, this is our, this is our week where all the movies have a giant time jump in them. So this one starts in the sixties and, uh, a guy is being executed for a crime he did not commit. And everyone's pretty okay with it. Nobody seems bothered by it in the moment. It's just a pretty cool execution scene. Jump forward to the eighties and they are going to be reopening the prison and the guard who was standing with the guy as he was being executed is now the warden. And immediately they start to notice that things are uh, awry as they bring in the first set of prisoners. And two prisoners are trying to break into the old uh, execution room in the basement, tear down the wall that's been put up over it for some reason that's not explained. And, uh, you know, things start to blow up. Eventually, uh, assorted supernatural things start happening that don't seem to follow any particular set of rules as to what supernatural powers are. I would argue this entire movie is the rule of cool and that's it. They're like, you know, go away from somebody to fucking die. Yeah. It's it's almost like final destination before final destination was a thing in some ways. Yeah. And so they go through a bunch of cool deaths and then they're like, well, we're going to have to let this uh, ghost guy, you have to kill the warden and so like the one prisoner who was in jail back in the 60s and still is in jail because that's how we do um he gets to shoot the warden and it's over (laughs) that kind of that's kind of it right like it's not that well explained in the movie what's going on is it he shoot he shoots the warden and then uh the crazy uh why is why am is that fucking word missing from my brain? Electric chair, Jesus mm-hmm. fucking Christ! <laughs> the the electric chair zombie 
ghost dude raises from the rubble and like thors him. I don't know. Like, yes, that's not an inaccurate thing to say, but it's like I didn't know how to word it. It's just your like your your it's, argument that it's just a bunch of cool kills in a row is pretty accurate. Yeah, and the kills are cool enough that this movie's fucking great. Ah, oh, yeah. Also, I forgot that teen heartthrob Vitico Mortison was a thing. <laughs> I don't think he was ever a teen heartthrob. I literally think he was just born 30 years old and has been that way ever since. He sure seems to have been. Who's going to say he pops up on the screen at one point and I was like, Oh yeah, <laughs> like he was a he was a sexy young man at some point instead of being the grizzled whatever the fuck he's been for forever now. <laughs> oh, see, to me, he's always looked exactly the same age. Sometimes the facial hair changes, but that's about it. Yeah, it's it's a. He's got like that Brad Pitt thing going where if he sh- if he shaves and like combs his hair, he looks like, you know, quote unquote heartthrobby. And then if he just lets the facial hair grow in a bit and lets the hair grow out, he just starts to look like that grizzled old guy that you wouldn't want to fuck with. <laughs> Do you guys have a favorite kill? There's a lot of good ones. The barbed wire. That's the correct answer. <laughs> I think... So I love the barbed wire thing because I was like, you know what? This is a totally like Hellraiser yeah, kind of it's, it's moment. It's very, very Hellraiser-y. Right up until the point that the barbed wire slams him through the ceiling into the warden's office. It's a weird theme of people being in separate rooms, getting wrapped up in something and then falling through the ceiling. That happens multiple times in this movie. Yeah. Yep. I was going to say the the most unrealistic thing about this movie, and I know that's a crazy thing to bring up, but the most unrealistic thing about this movie is that moment where barbed wire body comes smashing through the floor of his <laughs> office. The fact that he does not like projectile rooster tail shit on the wall behind him. <laughs> well, because that would just be a weird moment in the movie. <laughs> A body yeah. just fell out of the ceiling and that guy shit all over the wall. I think they were trying to keep the audience's attention on the Hellraiser kill that had just happened. I don't think they wanted us discussing his shitting habits. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just saying, imagine how fucking scared you'd be whenever the body smashes the floor of your office. You're just sitting there working and just barbed wire corpse just... Can we talk about how good the special effects were during the barbed wire kill, please? Instead of this, um, fucking great. But this, like the way it was like wrapping around him, looked super fucking cool for a pre CGI era. Like I don't know how you safely pull off that special effect. And, that's, and then when they when it finally gets to his head, the makeup effects are fucking outstanding. Um, just, just a an absolutely great kill. And, you know, like like you said, enough that I don't care if it made sense or not at all, because who gives a shit? It's just awesome looking. And I was I was blown away by how good that kill is. Well, I agree, but I just don't know if the reasoning that he wanted to send Ted to military school is enough to kill him with barbed wire. I don't think it matters. (laughs) 
I understand your clever joke. I'm choosing to ignore it because I'm trying to get us not off on another tangent where Noah has an excuse to talk about shit again. I'm saying rooster tail of shit. <laughs> God damn it. Um, what were some of your other favorite kills in the movie? Well, I mean, the barbed wire one was good, but then, like I mentioned, the guy trying to... I don't even know. What, what was he crawling through? It was just oh. like a... Like through the ceiling or something. Yeah, the, the guy that was trying to escape. Yeah. And then was it all the pipes start, like, yeah. surrounding him? And then just it started impaling him like crazy? That was pretty fucking cool, too. And the guy that caught fire was cool. <laughs> this, this movie was really good. Um... Like, cause the other thing is in between all this, I think a lot of the atmosphere really works. A lot of the performances are really solid. You know, we can just sit here and talk about the kills, which is fine, but you can watch the kills on YouTube. Probably you can, but I would recommend watching the whole movie because I think it really works well. Um, you know, like the, the cast is really impressive. Um, I'm trying to think of the guy's name that played the warden, but he's like, an actor. Smith. Yeah. Like he's an actor. He's not a. He's not just some guy. And Tiny Lister plays one of the prisoners and all that. Like, you know. Sadly, I think his his most recognizable uh, thing would be he's the dad from uh, Son in Law. Yeah, that's <laughs> sure, right. I was I was trying not to bring that up. To be honest, that's where I know him from. <laughs> I'm just like I don't want to be that guy. <laughs> I don't want to reference Polly Shore. Bill <laughs> S. Preston Senior. It's one of the guards. Yeah. <laughs> Viggo I mean, Mortensen, as we mentioned. Yeah, Viggo Mortensen. Apparently, some of the prisoners are played by actual prisoners. So the, the extras, that, yeah. Yeah, so that adds a little bit of realism too. And even um, the one guy, the guy that's talking about his religion all the time, you know, they, when they try to take his necklace off him at the beginning when he's first getting there and stuff, I think he's an actual like he's a prisoner, but he was a stunt man before he went to prison. So they're just like, Oh, you can have it. Actually have a speaking part in this movie where everyone else just has to be an extra. Um, I think it's him. I'm not sure. Uh, so stuff like that's cool. Like we should mention, it's like a Rennie Harlan directed movie with like, and it's Charles band is the executive producer. Like there's a lot of names that you would know as quality direct video filmmakers from the eighties in this. It's also, I would say from the, from the poster art and like the trailer I watched and stuff, I don't think it gets across how like bloody and violent the death scenes are oh. in this movie. You're kind of, ex- I was expecting a spooky movie. You know what I mean? Yeah. Instead it's like, yeah, people getting fucked up. Well, the, and that's, I think what I really liked about this movie was that the spooky parts were working like the creepy atmosphere. The prison is a great setting. I assume they shot it in a real prison just from the look of it. Um, and it, it I, I was liking it on that level before they got around to the cool kills. And I'm like, oh, and cool kills on top of it. <laughs> like, fucking awesome. Like, I, like, I really have no complaints. Like, I acknowledge the like the plot doesn't entirely get explained, I don't think. And the uh, like the powers of the spirit are whatever is cool in the moment. It doesn't you know, like there's no telekinetic heat lasers yeah and in in that scene that's whatever convenient whatever's convenient in the moment right so okay but and those are valid complaints but i just didn't care because 
I just wanted to watch that barbed wire wraparound. Like I had to rewind that scene and watch it again. Like, <laughs> oh, all of them are good. So the dude, there's the dude who gets barbecued in the uh, the metal uh, hole cell in the basement. Yeah, which that's that's fucking dope. I think that's the first kill. I think so. Yeah, yeah. and that that one's fun because it's a, a bit of a slow burn too. For the first kill is always good. Because he's sitting in the cell and like the light comes in and he's like, hey, get that light out of my eyes. And then it just gradually just fucks him right up. Yeah. And then there's the dude who gets like pulped by, I, I don't pipes, pipes sure. and air conditioning tubing for some reason. Yeah, that's how that's how those work. In which it's it's OK. It you're person. watching that one and you're like, man, this is only all right. And then he falls to the ceiling and hits that table with a great big wet sploosh yep. that really sells it. The big wet sploosh at the end is just fantastic. Right, right in the middle of all those other people who are just trying to have their lunch. Right, yeah. Barbed wire guy and tiny lister being tiny lister. <laughs> I was looking at the trivia on this one and they said apparently the, the scene where he's using the sledgehammer they yeah. had to custom make a bigger sledgehammer for him to use because him using a regular sledgehammer it looks like a toy like it looked fake because he's so big that seems right to me that's delight yeah and this movie i think did a a good job since we talked about it so much in the last movie um a great job of just like okay we're we're gonna have some talky parts here but like you know we just we're going to have some guys steal a bus for no reason whatsoever, but it's not for no reason. It's so we can put them in the cells in the basement so we can have our first kill down there. You know, it's everything leads back to the kills and to the, the ghosty stuff pretty quickly. So we don't get caught up in the boring ass dialogue. Like the last movie had the problem. with. Um, I wasn't sure. So I had to look it up, but the special effects are done by John Carl Buechler. Right. I know where you're going with this. Yeah, his biggest his biggest uh, credit, I guess, would be directing Friday Thirteenth Part Seven, which I yeah. think has the best looking Jason in it. Yeah, and I'm, I believe he and Kane Hodder met on the set of this film. Yeah, and so that's so he's so, kind of the one who got Kane the job of playing Jason yeah. in the Friday Thirteenth. So, yeah, so we have we have Kane Hodder as Jason because of this movie, which is interesting little. Mm. Another yeah. great thing about this movie that I already liked before we knew that. So, yeah, yeah I was gonna say, he's the uh, he was the stunt coordinator on this, and he also plays one of the random security guards. Yeah, that's Kane Hodder's whole career is he's the stunt coordinator, but he's like, I'll do it, but I also want to be in the movie, and they're like, okay, you can have a small part. <laughs> uh, yeah, but I'm a big fan of John Carl Buechler's stuff. Uh, he. He did the effects on the first Hatchet movie, and he's done like all kinds of stuff. So yeah, he deserves. That's why, that's why the yeah, that's why the effects look so good. Yeah. So that's I mean that's huge, right? That's a, a very important thing that he's like this movie wouldn't be as good without his effects. So he deserves as much credit as anyone for pulling off. Yeah. Um, because you know some movies get by like the last movie we didn't talk about who made the effects because you know they're pretty good but they weren't utterly important to us enjoying that film in this case we're saying yeah he was a major part of it and 
Yeah, for a movie about a, a jail that's or a prison that's haunted by a ghost, the special effects have to look like really realistic for them to yeah. work really well. well especially a movie. Yeah, a movie like this that's going to expect you to buy into that atmosphere, but then still try to pull off the big over-the-top slasher-type kills. Mm-hmm. Because that, that's a hard balance to pull off. Very few movies can justify having these like over-the-top kills, but then still be creepy in between. So you have to you have to believe those kills, even though they are over-the-top. Yeah. Uh, if you're planning on watching this movie, you should also head over to the IMDb and read the trivia because it's delightful. Okay. It's like the way they write everything. Like, the warden's office was built with windows from the actual warden's office in the prison that they shot in. Uh, But that warden's office couldn't be used, ironically, because of a big hole in the middle of the floor. (laughs) Really? (laughs) (laughs) I hope that's true. IMDb wouldn't lie. Uh, That's amazing. Uh, I should point out, also directed by Randy Harlan. Who uh, uh, also did Nightmare on Elm Street Four, and yeah. would go on to do a bunch of fucking awesome action movies, and also Cutthroat Island. Yeah, so. uh, I don't know. Anything else? No, I mean it, it's it's a big recommend prison i think it's just one of these one of these movies i'd seen the cover art for but i had no idea what it was about i just assumed haunted prison so i didn't expect anything as great as what we got um you know but good acting good atmosphere great kills i don't know what else you want from a horror movie from the 80s yeah i was gonna say i did it's it's a hard movie to like pin down into a genre it's more like a Japanese Korean rage ghost, but with 80s American violence. Yeah. It, what it is, is it somebody wants to make a haunted prison movie, which is a good idea, but it's the 80s, and so it has to be also a slasher. And, but the, the question is, can you merge those two things correctly? And in this case, they totally nailed it. I don't really I don't really understand why this is like this is kind of a forgotten film. Like I watched it for free on YouTube and I had to pick which stream to watch because it's there's a bunch up there like it's so nobody's even really paying attention for it. Um, I don't understand why that is like I don't understand why this isn't like a cult classic. Um, Well, Screen Factory did put out a Blu-ray a while back, but it's out of print. So it's currently going for like. $70 $70 on Amazon. Okay. This, this is the kind of movie that should be on Tubi along with the other one. Mm. Um, that's because that's, that's sort of my go-to of where these like cult classic type movies should be. That's where they belong. Um, and the, this is a perfect example of one. Thanks for calling the Midnight Drive-In. No one is here to take your call. For more info, check out the Midnight Drive-In on Twitter at MNDriveInPod or find us on Facebook. If you want to email us, send it to TheMidnightDriveIn at gmail.com. Remember, no outside food and drink. Anyone caught performing sexual acts at the drive-in will immediately be taken to the office. Unspeakable things will be done to you. Thanks for calling. Alright, what did everybody watch since the last episode? 
besides my usual TV shows, I only watched one thing. What's the new Clint Eastwood movie? Cry Macho. Oh, yeah? It's, I don't know. It's a little dry. <laughs> like, okay. so it's hard to explain. So all, all of these old man Clint Eastwood movies are pretty good. Because the dude's been acting for a real long time. So yeah. he's, he's got them chops. And he carries this film, but... I don't I don't get what the fuck this film was supposed to like be about. <laughs> like I saw I get, someone I saw someone post like and I don't even know like I didn't read the description of the movie, so you'll have to tell me if this is even close. Someone posted like, look, if my son went missing, I would the first thing I would do would not be to go to the ninety one year old guy to go to Mexico to try to figure out what happened. Yeah. I mean that's kind of what happens. <laughs> So Clint, Clint Eastwood is a old, retired, washed out animal trainer. Like he would raise show horses and shit. OK. And it the film kind of starts with this guy firing him for, you know, being drunk, and being late, and not caring and ha- having given up on life, essentially. And then the next scene is, OK, now we're in the future. And now the guy who fired him is coming and asking him for a favor. And the whole thing is, I want you to go to Mexico and get my 13-year-old son and bring him back. And then the excuse is he's being abused. So mm. Clint Eastwood goes down to Mexico, uh, and it's basically, I don't, I don't know, it's its kind of a pretty stereotypical. It's the movie Dutch, but not a comedy. <laughs> does, that, does that fucking make sense? I mean, it's a cranky old guy picking up a kid who's a, kind of a little shit. And them growing along the way. But, I mean, it it's kind of dark in parts. Because you find out that dude's dad isn't lying. This kid really was being abused. And the insinuation is that his mother had been selling him to old men. Ooh. Yeah. Which is disturbingly glossed over in this film. Yeah. Like, it's brought up, and Clint Eastwood's character is like, ah, that's fucked up. Ah. And then they just move on and never mention which is like, I I feel like if you're going to use that as a plot point or character development, that maybe, just maybe, that deserves a little more time and sensitivity to address in the film. So, and basically, so the mom is rich, and she's sending out her weird, totally not cartels because that would be racist henchmen after him to stop him from taking the kid who she has abandoned, which, mm. once again, doesn't make a whole lot of sense. They end up like stealing a bunch of cars. It's kind of it's one of those like crazy cross country trip movies. But they end up in this town and they spend something like three weeks in a town <laughs> making no progress. They just like live in a town for three weeks. And that's where the bulk of the movie is. I don't it's it's really strange. And then of course the end you find out that kid's dad wants him back because he did some kind of investing. I guess these are these are spoilers. Shut this shut this off if if you're really <laughs> concerned about the plot of this movie. But once again, 
I don't really get what the fuck the point of this movie is. Uh, he'd done some investing and he wants the kid because the wife, it's all in her name. And he's trying to get her to give him his half. And he thinks that if he has the son, that's more leverage for him to get his hat. Mm. And then they also kind of argue that he's, but he's a good guy. And that's only part of the reason. He also just wants his son, but he also wants half that fucking money. I don't, I don't know. It, it, like, it, and the kid just goes with that guy at the end. And I don't, it's like, what the fuck? Like, I don't, I don't get any of it. I don't get what, who's supposed to be the good guy in this? What is the, what was the point? What is the message? Like, I get that it's just a story, but it's not a story with a, a satisfying or interesting resolution. No, no, no. It didn't and look I, interesting to me, so I had, I had no interest in checking it out. Yeah, it's it's really not. And the kid who's in the movie is not a good actor. And I'm not entirely sure, but he might be doing a fake Mexican accent the whole fucking movie. <laughs> <laughs> Which is not. That is no bueno. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong and the kid's accent's real. But he comes off as a bad actor doing a fake Mexican accent. And so pretty much it all boils down to Clint Eastwood being a great actor and everything, everyone around him being okay. And and even the ones that are okay look bad in comparison because you're holding them up to Clint Eastwood's delivery, you know. Yeah, I didn't bring it up, but it's kind of how I felt about Viggo Mortensen in prison this week. Right. He was so good and everybody else was just serviceable. Mm. Yeah, so I don't know. I, it's it's not a recommend for me. And like I said, I'm a big fan of all these old man Clint Eastwood movies. So I, the fact that this one was a disappointment was something else. <laughs> what did you watch, Doug? Uh, I got a couple things I can talk about here. Uh, let's see. I watched a quiet place too, which I know Noah already talked about on the podcast. Um, I liked it quite a bit. I think they did a good job of, um, just kind of, I don't just kind of continuing the story. It's follows all the sequel rules of being bigger and, you know, um, it's a little weird that they had to like, cause the, I guess, spoiler alert for the first, a quiet place, but the, the father dies, so they have to sort of just bring in a new male character in this one to kind of take over that role, which is a little awkward. But but they also brought in Killian Murphy to play that guy, and he's fantastic. So it's fine. It doesn't bother me that they did that because he's such a good he puts on such a good performance. I, um, I like the fact that they also like start the movie with a flashback in order to. <laughs> Well, when the when the writer director when the writer director is also the actor, um, maybe he just wants to be in the movie, so they give him back uh, his. Uh, they get they they let him back in the movie a little bit. Um, so I, I thought they did a good job. That actually, the whole like so the whole thing what it does is it flashes back at the beginning of the movie to the, the day of the initial attack, that is way before the events of the first movie. And I actually like that because it makes this movie stand alone. I did not watch the original before watching this one. So I think they did a good job of making it like this. You could just watch this movie and not have to have watched the first one. 
which is something not enough sequels do these days. You know, it's it was essentially the equivalent of all the kids sitting around the campfire telling the Jason story before Jason shows up, which I liked. Um, there's only one part that kind of pissed me off, and I don't know if I should mention it because it's pretty spoilery. Um, but I'm just going to spoil it. So if anybody, <laughs> if anybody uh, doesn't like that, that's try, that's try, not you. Try not to listen to this next little bit. What I'm going to say, but. So there is a point where, like, so the the replacement dad and the daughter are trying to get to this island to find these people and whatever, and they get out there, and it's like this idealistic society. And somehow, the uh, alien creatures drive a boat out there. It has the real Friday the 13th Part 8 situation. <laughs> the alien creatures, like, like this, they look out, and there's this, like boat and they're like they panic because they recognize that as the boat that was at the dock when they escaped and everything and it's like what did are we to believe that the aliens drove that boat here that doesn't feel like they know how to do that they're sort of big monster things i think it's supposed to be the boat just drifted there just drifted and landed right at the same spot as them yeah yeah it's it's a problem yeah it's not very good uh, it's 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 just, it's it's a big flaw that just happens in the middle of the movie, and everything that happens before it is good, and everything that happens after it is good. It's just this one little thing, and it's I get that it's kind of necessary plot wise to get aliens onto that island. But. I feel like it would have been better if, whenever he's telling the story of how the island formed, he said like eleven boats landed and only or were scheduled to leave, and only two of them actually made it. Yeah, if if it had been. Like one of those old ships that he just found, like crashed into a beach on the other side of the island or something that it had just been out drifting in the ocean for whatever. For months. I, I almost feel like that would have been more forgivable. Yeah. I don't know. Than it being the boat that he just escaped from following him. Well, because it was super weird, too, because in my mind when I saw the boat, I didn't even go to aliens. I thought like the bad human people that he'd been interacting with were going to be on the island. So when aliens showed up, I was a little bit caught off guard. I'm like, oh, they came over on the boat? Like, that doesn't make sense. It feels like there could have been a workaround there somehow. I don't know exactly what you do, but it just, it stuck out. But then again, overall, good movie. I liked the the use of the characters. I made a point not to watch the first one before watching this because I was worried the kids would have aged too much and it would have pissed me off because <laughs> it's set directly <laughs> after the other one. Um, but yeah, like you know, like say, like you, you can't you can't not show the aliens the way they did in the first movie. That's you can get away with that in a first movie. You have to show them more in the second movie because the, sh- the shock factor is gone. We all know what they look like and stuff. And I, I guess other minor spoiler, they didn't do the stupid sequel thing where they introduced an even bigger alien. <laughs> Thank goodness. Because <laughs> that's like something like that in an action movie. Fine. But they do it in horror movies too. And you shouldn't. Um, it didn't have that. I, I feel like the thing that the second movie lacked that the first movie had Man, when that kid gets wrecked at the beginning of the first movie, yeah, that I don't know. It sets the stakes of that movie so fucking high. 
like immediately. It's a really, really good. I, I know it's a cheap device. Killing the kids always cheap, but it was really good. But but I did like the invasion scene where the whole town is being taken over at the beginning of the sequel. Um, I really I really like the shot. I sorry it was in like one of the trailers where the the bus is there and it's like crashing, and then all of a sudden the thing comes crawling out the front window. I really love that shot. Um. I thought, yeah, I thought they did a really good job of establishing at the beginning that kind of explaining how society collapsed under the power of these aliens, because that's always the question in any of these like apocalyptic movies is like, well, how how were we not able to put up more of a fight or maintain some level of a society? And here they just they just show this town just being overwhelmed. Right. Although it is interesting that they seem to figure out the sound thing immediately. Yeah, yeah, and it then raises the question of like, why wasn't there? Isn't there a military somewhere that can do this on a bigger scale? And but if you start asking those kinds of questions, then you can never watch any post-apocalyptic movie, right? Yeah, I also there there is only one thing in the sequel that I really didn't like. So when they f- figure out that the aliens can't swim, it's one of their their weaknesses, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but in the first movie, you see an alien go into a pool of water very calmly and lithely and clearly like it knows its way around water. OK, this is maybe another reason why I didn't watch the two back to back. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I don't know. That's been bothering me forever. I was like, if they're if they, it wouldn't react like that. <laughs> like, I get that that water's shallow and it can probably touch the bottom, but. If they can just move across the bottom of water, then the fact that they can't swim is irrelevant. Well, if they can move only only where they can keep their head above water, then it's not irrelevant. It well, but it that. goes it goes underwater. It's the first thing it does in the first movie when she's in the basement and the basement's flooded. It comes yeah. in and it immediately dives. It like slides under the water, and that way she doesn't know where it is. I'm just I'm. Uh, again, having not watched the first one recently and, and trying to justify this because I like the movies, um, I think maybe like it'd be like you going into the shallow end of a pool. You're not scared to go underwater because you know that at any point in time you can stand up and be out of the water, right? But if you were thrown in the middle of the ocean and not know how to swim, you'd still panic. Yeah, I suppose so. Like I said, I'm not shitting on them. They're good movies. It's just the one thing that yeah. I just like that doesn't seem internally consistent in the mythos of the world yeah and, and like i'm i i, I didn't re the first one because i don't want to nitpick it because i do like them enough that i just want to enjoy them and you know so i still couldn't help but nitpick that one thing <laughs> but yeah overall like the, both movies are a recommend i'd watch them both not too close together because you'll find the holes in the mythos of the world or whatever the fuck um okay so you guys want to hear about the other thing i watched sure so are you familiar with the netflix documentary series untold i know of it but i haven't watched any of them so Uh, is is that the one that's it's made by the same people who do uh fuck what's it called i think char watches it I can't. I can't. It's, no. it's like two guys. It's an Asian guy and uh, a skinny white guy. And the Asian guy is kind of into supernatural stuff. And the white guy's a skeptic guy. Uh, you're way off. So. 
<laughs> so untold is untold is about uh, cool stories in sports. And the one I watched this week is called Untold Crime and Penalties. So I guess before I tell you guys about it, do you guys follow minor hockey in the state of Connecticut very closely or no? Uh, I mean, it is one of my favorite things, but I've been kind of behind lately. So you may as well tell me. So put it this way. Um, I'm not saying that the main character, one of the main characters in this was the inspiration for Tony Soprano. I am saying that in <laughs> in his office at at the sanitation place that he runs, he does have a signed picture of the Sopranos that says to the real Tony Soprano, sincerely, James Gandolfini. <laughs> so that's so picture that guy, right? The guy, the guy that inspired Tony Soprano. Uh, his son, AJ, is a hockey player, gets hurt and can't play anymore. Right. Mm-hmm. So he decides he's going to start up a minor hockey team in their town of Danbury, Connecticut. And he's just going to let AJ be the, uh, the, the, the president, the general manager, basically run the whole thing. AJ's 17 at the time. <laughs> and huge into wrestling. So he decides, he doesn't know what the fuck he's doing. He decides a great marketing ploy would be like, we'll be, we'll be like the heels of the league. And turn our whole hockey team into just basically a bunch of goons. So it, the results are a weird combination of Slapshot and The Sopranos, where... <laughs> <laughs> just just this kid is like going out and tracking down like players that are like in jail but they're gonna get out so he's just hiring them to come play for his team um fucking just guys that are just like known for just fighting you know all this shit right and he starts doing all this crazy shit he gets his former like middle school hockey coach to be like the the quote-unquote equipment manager but also help him run mm-hmm. the team and this guy is put it this way at one point this he says to the, the aj says to the camera like yeah this guy like when we were like 12 he was our coach and he'd be out there and he'd be running us into the boards and that's the kind of guy i wanted us on our team cut to an interview with this guy <laughs> And they go, like, is it true that when you were coaching 12-year-olds, you would, like, fully hit them into the boards? And he looks into the camera and he goes, ah, cocaine's a hell of a drug. <laughs> <laughs> so he is still, in, in this league, the UHL, he is still the only equipment manager to ever get suspended. He got suspended <laughs> for tackling the general manager of one of the other teams. <laughs> But he would literally do shit like sneak into the other team's dressing room and hide the goalie's gear so they wouldn't have a goalie for the game. He would turn off the hot water. And this is 2004, by the way. This is in some ancient times. <laughs> he would literally hide like their, their goalie's equipment. He would turn off the hot water to the opposing team's locker room. <laughs> shit like that. And uh, th- this is all happening in the background, by the way. There's like an FBI investigation into Tony Soprano that owns this team. <laughs> and he's doing all sorts of shady shit. So he's like paying guys, like paying guys for no show jobs over at the fucking sanitation place. So th- that's their way of skirting like the salary cap for the hockey league. 
<laughs> so guys, and they're interviewing these players and they're like, we didn't fucking know. Like you go to the office on Wednesday to get your paycheck and instead of getting one, you get two and it's from two different companies and you just shrug and go cash them. Like what else? Mm-hmm. They don't know. They're <laughs> hockey players, right? <laughs> <laughs> and it's just it's fucking insane at one point in time because the nhl was in a lockout situation at the time so these fucking guys decided they like they're like we need to get a good goal scorer so they end up signing the player that scored the stanley cup winning goal the year before and then like they're interviewing this guy and he's like i don't know he's like we couldn't play in the nhl so i was just looking for somewhere else to play they offered me a good deal so i took it and then I get a call from my agent and they said, yeah, one of the conditions of the deal is they're going to pay you in a duffel bag full of cash. <laughs> <laughs> the guy just won the Stanley Cup and I was getting paid in duffel bags of cash. And it's like, it's, it's, it's insane. You, uh, it's definitely worth looking into if you have any interest in this whatsoever. The whole thing ends up culminating, like I guess, spoiler alert where the FBI shuts the team down because of all the illegal activity that's going on. <laughs> and the owner ends up going to prison for like a decade. Jesus. Because like, you know, it's, it's all, it's all part of like a whole mafia thing where they're, you know, all the typical mafia stuff is going on in the background, but also they own this hockey team and they're, they're using it for money laundering. And, you know, like I say, paying guys cash under the table, which is all sorts of illegal. <laughs> nice yeah that sounds sounds cool i'll have to check it out it's it's absolutely insane like and i'd heard of it before uh but i just didn't realize the extent of it but it's literally like this kid is still in high school and now all of a sudden he's the president and general manager of a hockey team (laughs) Uh, seems like the start of like a disney movie yeah it's not it goes the other way (laughs) (laughs) And it's like, uh, it is one of those ones, though, I have to say, like, they do the thing where they sort of treat these guys as because they are like they're they're the focal point of of the story is these guys. And they kind of like gloss over. They're like, ah, isn't it so sad? The team went away. And it's like, well, the team was part of a mafia organization. So, no, it's not sad that the team got shut down or had to be moved to different owners or whatever exactly happened. It's like, no, like, I mean, yeah, you feel bad for, like, the players that maybe, like, were uh, involved or whatever. But these are criminals. Like, these are, you know what I mean? Like, these are not, and not like, you know, these guys aren't jaywalking. These guys are, you know, blowing up garbage trucks for competing companies on, and it's showing up on the news. And then the next day he's... Oh, isn't that funny? He's getting into a fight with the ref over one of the calls that he didn't like and all sorts of shit. So definitely, uh, definitely worth a a watch if you have any interest whatsoever. It's absolutely insane. Yeah, I've been seeing them popping up on, uh, because it was like a whole series of stuff. Yeah. I've been seeing them pop up on Netflix, but I I haven't watched any yet. See, I don't know. I don't. I'm not sure what all the other stories are. I don't think anything else will be as insane as this. <laughs> I only watched this one because all of a sudden, like everybody just started telling me I needed to watch it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I know there's one about one of the big basketball fights. Like both teams got on the court and just started beating the shit out of each other. Like well, NBA, I, NBA stuff, but I don't. But I think, I, I think the incident you're talking about involves them fighting the fans, not the players. Uh, is that what it was? Okay. Which is yeah, insane. So I have no idea. But I just don't know how you do a whole documentary about it because it was like a one-time incident, right? Yeah. 
And I mean, like, I remember it happening because that, that made headlines, believe it or not, you know? Mm-hmm. Hmm. So. Did you watch anything else? Um, I don't know. I rewatched The Thing. It's a 1982 movie. Yeah. Have you guys seen it yet? It's, it, it holds up if you guys were wondering. I guess we're curious. Yeah, only ha- I haven't watched, definitely haven't watched it like 50 times over the past like 10 years. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It's it's so fucking good. Yeah, I posted an alternate art poster for the thing that. in the uh, in the Facebook group today. Yeah. I was, I, was trying, cool. I was trying not to say anything that I just didn't like that poster, to be honest. <laughs> Of course you didn't. Wasn't, wasn't going to bring it up, but well, I'm not I saying think... it was like the poster. I just thought it was an interesting take on the idea for a poster. Yeah, I don't know. Agree to disagree. <laughs> I was trying to think though. Best, like best poster I've seen in a while is for Maniac Driver. What's that? Uh, I'll post it in the chat in just a second. Keep talking. Uh, you guys. Uh... All I was going to say is I think I literally think after watching the thing this time, I'm like, it might be the best horror movie ever made. Yeah, it's I don't know how you argue against that. I don't either. It's like like because like I've often said, like, like objectively, like Jaws, I think, is the best movie ever made because it Mm. works on these different levels. And I've made the argument before. But when you talk about strictly a horror movie, like the thing, the effects hold up amazingly to this day. The performances are solid. The atmosphere is amazing. The score is amazing. The story's good. Like the nihilistic ending is super fun. If you're sick in the head, which I happen to be, um, <laughs> like it, it, it's it's near perfect. I, I I don't really have a complaint. Mm. Me. Let me look at this poster that now I just sent. Yeah, I'm looking at it too. That's all right. I do like it. Yeah. Is it I don't know if it's the best poster. That's Carando's new movie. I like that it says from the director of Gun Woman and Karate Kill. <laughs> uh, Gun Woman's fucking awesome. All right. Take your word for it. <laughs> Actually, I haven't seen Karate Kill. I keep meaning to watch it. Um, well, one thing we could talk about, Doug, is the new season. Well, supposedly it's the second half of the current season, but really it's a new season of Dark Side of the Ring started. Yeah, I did watch and, that. And has already caused all sorts of problems. You mean lots con- of people. You, you, mean, you mean like people who sexually assault people are getting in trouble for doing it? Yeah, people, who, people who defend who- people. Yeah, people who actively defend sexual assault by saying yeah. it's just a joke are also getting in trouble. Yeah. I wonder why. I can't imagine why they're in trouble for that. So as far as I can remember, this is like the first episode of Dark Side of the Ring that there was like real consequences afterwards. Yeah, it's weird because it's like... What episode was it? I haven't seen any of the new stuff. Uh, well, it's on YouTube. So when we get over with this, you should go watch it because uh, it's really good. But... yeah. It's about the plane ride from hell. Did you know anything about the plane ride from hell? Uh, I vaguely heard things about it. That's just about everybody. Everybody's like, oh, yeah, I heard something. I heard Ric Flair was running up and down the aisles in his robe with nothing else underneath of it. And then Kurt Henning and Brock Lesnar were wrestling. That sounds like that sounds like that was a funny, funny incident. Yeah, yeah. Nothing, you... nothing like 
700 pounds of man flesh slamming around in the cabin of a perfectly balanced yeah. aircraft. Yeah, and right up right up against the emergency door. Um, and then you watch this episode and you're like, oh, that wasn't a funny incident at all. That was terrible. Yeah. Yeah, so basically we find out, because... WWE was doing a European tour and it was going to end on a pay-per-view taking place from London. So they go, there's no incidents on the way there. They do their, they do their tour through Europe. They have the pay-per-view and then they're flying back home. And what WWE did was they essentially chartered uh, a giant, giant uh, plane to like every chair in the plane is like a first class seat. So all the wrestlers had a private plane that they were riding on back to the States. And then they get delayed on the tarmac by like seven hours because of like a weather thing in the state. So they had to hold off, taking off. So I'm assuming the, they all got trashed. Yeah. So they got trashed. They drank, they drank an entire cart, entire alcohol cart of booze. And then, so they ordered another and then they drank all that, and then they ordered a third, and then they drank all that before the plane even took off. Christ. Yeah. So, yeah, then like we said, Kurt Henning and Brock Lesnar wrestling around. That, like, freaked the uh, flight attendants out, of course. Well, that, well, that one, one flight attendant, she's like, those are awfully big guys. Like, what if one of them just broke through the fuselage of the plane? And you're like, yeah. I can see that with those giant guys wrestling right. around in there. Like, I can I see mean, like it wouldn't even take that. They just hit a window. Yeah. 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 And like, apparently, they did fully break off, break like chairs and shit, like the seats. Yeah. yeah. Especially when it's Brock Lesnar and Mr. Perfect wrestling each other. Yeah. Those are some big boys to be doing that. Yeah, and she's basically commenting like they couldn't stop them. Yeah, like, like what the hell are they supposed to do? All these flight attendants couldn't do nothing. Like the pilot, one of the pilots came back and he couldn't do nothing. Yeah. And eventually they hit the emergency door, and that's when all the other wrestlers are like, "Oh fuck!" and finally got up and broke him up. It's hilarious when they're interviewing that flight attendant though, and she says like, uh, "She's like, yeah, the funny part is like, there's no way you could hit an emergency door hard enough to open it." Like, that just yeah. isn't a thing, but we didn't bother to tell all the other wrestlers that because they were finally breaking it up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, that was, like, the safest part of the whole thing. <laughs> uh, and so then, every, like, they were just treating the stewardesses, like, terrible and fucking, uh, I don't know. The big part of it, the big part kind of comes together when, like I mentioned, Ric Flair's walking up and down the aisle with this with his fucking robe on with nothing underneath of it. And apparently, according to some of the wrestlers, he's a very well-endowed gentleman, so he's able to spin his penis like a helicopter, and apparently it makes everybody laugh. And uh, apparently he went back to the galley to get a Coke and kind of cornered one of the stewardesses and kept telling her to touch his his genitalia. And she kept saying no, and he grabbed her hand and had her do it anyway. And eventually, Gold Dust, Dustin Reynolds, like, stepped in and told him he needed to kind of back off. And then, you know, Flair just was like, woo, and then ran back out into the plane and kept his antics going. Yeah. 
and then apparently Scott Hall was so out of it, he was pretty much passed out for the, the entire flight. And then when she woke him up to ask him if he wanted breakfast, he basically just grabbed her by her shirt and then started licking her chest. And then she got him to let go and he just passed out again. And yeah, yeah. it just sounds like an entire nightmare. I, I felt so bad for that staff when I was hearing about that because yeah. you're just like, what do you do? You're stuck in a plane with these people. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't understand why. Like, there's a, because there's a few moments where the management of WWE, because they're all on the plane too, like Vince and JR and all them, actually did get involved to put a stop to things. And it's like, why weren't you more involved? Why weren't you putting more of a stop to this? Why weren't you cutting off those boos at like two cards? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's well because Vince McMahon is one of those guys. Yeah, I guess that's true to a certain extent. I mean, I'm kind of surprised the story doesn't include him getting trashed and doing the same stuff. Well, his wife was there. Yeah, his wife was there, and he seems very uninvolved with the entire situation. Uh, Jr. got involved because people kept coming up, be like, "You probably need to go back and talk to somebody about." you know, not doing some of the shit they're doing. And that was kind of his job. He was talent management at the time. But he's like, but he's like, but technically this wasn't my job. They're all fucking adults. I don't know why I have to go be a babysitter, but apparently that's what I have to do. Jair's comments were pretty funny in this where he's just like, you know what I mean? And he's the one part where uh, gold dust because I guess him and his wife had just gotten divorced and she was still with the company and he gets up on the mic and he starts singing her a song over the loudspeaker of the plane <laughs> and they're asking JR about it in this documentary and he goes well you know it wouldn't have been so bad if he could carry a tune but he just fucking can't yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh, then yeah Jared put his adult voice on just sit down go to sleep, knock it off. Uh, so yeah, the whole, the whole thing is terrible. And then the, the big sort of issue outside of Ric Flair, which still involves Ric Flair is Sammy dreamer starts like sort of defending him of all the stuff he was doing. And he kept saying like, Ric Flair would never enforce his will on anybody. He would never, you know, physically, make somebody do something and then cut to Rob Van Dam who's like oh yeah no I totally saw the whole thing yeah no and like it's what Tommy <laughs> I Dreamer... thought you were going to say cut cut to Ric Flair being like you know how the nature boy do <laughs> Rick Ric Flair declined to be interviewed they do note that in the documentary <laughs> but um, what Tommy Dreamer said I want to make it clear is worse than what you're implying Brian it's sure. what he says is like yeah maybe he forced her to touch his penis but it wasn't it's okay because it was just a joke mm-hmm. like this woman's at work and you're running around her place of work naked and forcing her to touch your penis but as long as you're doing it for humor and not for sexual gratification somehow that makes it okay and it's like no that does not make it okay at fucking all I'm like <laughs> you know what i mean it's yeah 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 it's very gross it just comes off horrible so and, I'm assuming the controversy of resolution is that Tommy Dreamer just got canceled. Uh, he got suspended. He was working for Impact Wrestling. He was he's a backstage guy, so he got suspended indefinitely. Don't know what that means. I'm sure that means in six months he'll just be back. Which 
Yeah, or sure whatever. He's he's already put out an apology, but you know, I don't know how far you're. I mean, how far it, we're supposed to take all this stuff, but it, it's completely unacceptable what he said. Yeah. It's obviously not as bad as Flair, but it was the yeah. the way he and they have they have him saying it multiple times of just defending it, and it's like mm. you can't. Sorry, but you can't defend that action. You know, yeah. like you, even if you were defending Flair running around the plane naked, okay, that's one thing. But once he ends up physically touching that poor stewardess, like it, no, yeah, no. don't try to, don't try to make it funny. No, don't try to do any of that. The big uh, thing I've noticed in some of these shows now is like, uh, okay, guys, the era of kayfabe is done. Mm-hmm. If you're doing an interview for this show, you need to not be your character. Because it's gonna yeah. make you oh. like a psychopath. And none of these guys are in their character doing these interviews. At least not what I can tell. Yeah, as far as yeah. Um, but it's yeah, it's super weird uh, too. Cause they even go through at the end where like they talk about who got fired and stuff and over mm. this, and they're like, like okay, Scott Hall got fired, but there's allegations that he was drugged because that's another thing is it turns out wrestlers drug each other on flights for fun. Um, so it's like, they don't look into who might've drugged him. So yeah. Okay. You can fire. You can, if Scott Hall getting fired is hard to argue with at that point in his career, but I was going to say, yeah. and adding to the fact that Scott Hall is a drug addict, that's extra fucked. Yeah. It is. Yeah. What's well, also one like sort of how Jr. sort of proposes it too that they realized like putting him back on the road was not good for his addictions, so they essentially fired him to get him off the road. Which in reality is well, we don't want to deal with it. He may do something under the WWE brand, so we should probably fire him now. Yeah. And. Like, I don't know, like Goldust getting fired seemed completely unfair. Yeah. Um, I didn't like, I mean, what? I mean, yeah, he, he did some shit that you're not supposed to do on a plane, but he, not nothing that was going to really hurt anybody else. Was, well, I was I've say, wasn't Goldust the one that was like, hey, don't force that woman to touch your penis? Yes. <laughs> well, and that's yeah, the interesting yeah. thing is they flat out asked JR why, what were the consequences for Flair? And he's like, yeah, nothing. And they're like, why not? And they're like, because he's Ric Flair. It's just how it is. And yeah, it's like, he was too big to be to get in trouble. It, it's like, what the fuck? Mm-hmm. Which makes no uh, goddamn sense, too, because this was 2002. You could have done away with Ric Flair at that point. It wouldn't have hurt WWF to not have him. Like. <laughs> Um, it seems like I had heard rumblings that uh, there was also an incident with Dustin Rhodes, Gold Dust, of him sort of sexually assaulting one of the other stewardesses that they didn't talk to. Oh, maybe and, if it was a different girl, because they only had the one, the yeah. one flight attendant or whatever. So that may, that may have led there, into this too. Now, now that I think about it, when she's talking about filing her lawsuit, she does have like the um she mentions there's two of them that filed and the other one isn't interviewed yeah. so maybe she just didn't want yeah. to be involved right yeah and they blurred her name out on the uh, paperwork yeah too. Okay. so she, i guess she didn't want to be involved 
Well, that's the that's the other thing that Tommy Dreamer said is he like he pulled the old card of like if if what happened to this woman is so bad, why did she take the payout instead of trying to force this into court? And it's like, yeah, uh, yeah you're gonna pull that shit. You're gonna victim blame now? No. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it, it made him look really terrible too because they flat out had her on camera ask answering that question of like, well, this was like humiliating, and she's like, I would have rather told the story and tried to do something else, but. It comes down to money is the only thing you can get out of this. And her husband was pressuring her to sign the deal because it's good money for the family and it keeps this from becoming the topic of conversation everywhere you go. Like, mm-hmm. Basically keeps their family out of the headlines if they just take the yeah. payout and go. Yeah. yeah. And they had a young daughter, so like getting a chunk of money when you have a baby at home mm-hmm. is frankly like that that might be how that kid went to college you know what i mean if they did kind of thing yeah so it's like to 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 begrudge her for taking a settlement at that point is ridiculous yeah i'd heard that um she had never told this story ever she never talked to anybody about it and then when you know dark side of the ring called her she wasn't going to do it, but then she kind of told her daughter, who was, you know, newly born at that point, kind of of the whole thing. And her daughter's the one who basically talked her into, okay, to like, you need to like talk about this. This is something that, people need to know about. That's something that, he, like, a younger person would say to their mom. And like, the, the generation gap, that makes sense to me. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, the young people today yeah. would say, like, no, no, you. you this isn't, uh, the, you know, you don't have, you shouldn't be ashamed of this. You were the victim you should go out and tell your story and make sure other people know what these people did. Yeah. Uh, I think Mr. Perfect, Kurt Henning got fired, but I think his firing was with the assumption that, ah, well, I mean, like we'll fire him. And then like a year later, he'll come back and then, yeah, nobody will care. Yeah. And then he, he died like a couple months after this. So that kind of sucks. It's weird that he got fired too. Cause all he did was like, put shaving cream on Brock Lesnar's head. Like, Yeah, but they comment that he pulled pranks a lot, and I think everybody was just tired of him. So they're like, get him the fuck out of here so we can at least have a rest. <sighs> so yeah, so it's it was a very interesting episode. I was going to say, to me, it sounds like Vince McMahon doing token firings to uh, scare the rest of them straight. So he's oh, just it's like, like yeah. these are the well, people and- it's also him protecting, like he protected Brock Lesnar. Like, how does Brock Lesnar have no consequences? But Kurt Henning does. Brock Lesnar is the guy that started the fight, really. Um, you know, Flair has no consequences. Come on, like he's protecting the people he gives a shit about, and he's always done that, and he'll always do that. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, and Ric Flair was currently in some of those like Car Shield. It's like a car insurance, like some low rent car insurance company or something. He's been doing a bunch of ads for them. Yeah. And uh, those got yanked. And uh, it seemed like there's something else involving uh, Ric Flair. But uh, he's. It, it, if Ric Flair's doing promotion themselves. for anybody right now, I imagine they're backing off. Yeah. yeah. I don't blame him. He's supposed to be at New York Comic Con. It looks like that got canceled. And. Uh, WWE had him in their, you know, the opening montage of the for Monday Night Raw, and apparently they took him out right away. So everybody's just sort of backing off. 
Yeah. And then Tommy Dreamer. Like we said, he got suspended. Apparently he was on Busted Open Radio, which I've never listened to. So it's like a wrestling-centric, serious XM radio show. Apparently he was on it pretty regularly. He got suspended from that. So yeah, it's kind of everybody's just kind of like, whoa. Like, this episode aired and literally shit started going down the very next day. It's It's... It's a rare scenario too, though, where I'm like, you're these people who are getting nailed are seem to be the ones getting nailed that actually deserve to be. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I watched because they did like a preview episode like last week. So it was like the two creators of the show, Jason Eisner and another guy who I don't know, uh, sat down with Chris Jericho and they kind of went over sort of like some of their favorite moments from the first half of the season and now some of the stuff that is coming up and they didn't say which episode but they did mention some of our favorite wrestlers are not going to be looking too good you know there's the people you grew up idolizing you maybe don't have the same uh, affection for them after working on these episodes so they were kind of bummed about it yeah i was gonna say could you imagine being one of the guys who decided to make this series being a wrestling fan and be like, oh, you know, we want to show just some of the, you know, behind the scenes stuff that people didn't know about. And by the end, you're like, I fucking hate wrestling. I hate all these people. <laughs> it's yeah. got to be hard, man. Yeah, they said it's tough going, you know, transitioning from trying to, you know, I'm a fan, but I'm also a, you know, quote unquote journalist, however you want to label that role. And so I have to like sort of keep those two things separate. When putting this stuff together. Yeah, the next episode is all about Chris Canyon. And the rumblings I've heard is Ric Flair does not come off too well on this one either. So should be interesting to see. I'll be I'll be honest. I've never heard a story about Ric Flair outside of the ring that wasn't somebody saying he did something. Oh, he's he's a garbage human being. Do you guys That's remember when I watched I watched the documentary about him and I got super angry because they tried to paint him in a positive light despite telling the truth about him and it's like you can't do both those things. Damn. What was the uh who was it in this uh Brian that some one of the guys was saying too that this story kind of shouldn't be told because it makes the wrestlers look bad and people should be entitled to their heroes. And it's like, oh, that, that comment bugged me too, but I can't remember who made it. Uh, might have been just incredible. Or was oh. it Mike, Ke- Mike Kyoto, maybe? The, the referee? Yeah, I think it was Mike Kyoto. It wasn't just incredible because yeah. he was the one that. He, he was, was being bitching. Honest, yeah. Like he was bitching about the fact that he had to carry Scott Hall off that plane, and he was getting dirty looks from people. And he's like, "I'm the fucking one carrying him off the plane. I'm not the one that did this to him." Like, yeah. <sighs> hmm. Yeah. My opinion is, don't have heroes. <laughs> Just don't do that. <laughs> that does fix stuff. Uh, you know what? I actually think you're right. I think that we have this problem in our society where we try to elevate people. And it's like nobody's perfect. The the likelihood of somebody being, you know, a good pro wrestler and a good person that you should look up to is pretty low. Mm-hmm. So right. I always tell people that about people I love in the movies. I I love them for the thing that they do, but I don't think that they're anything more than a person just like everybody else, and they're probably a piece of shit. 
when they're not doing it. Yeah. I think that way about everyone. Bruce Campbell, love Bruce Campbell. I assume Bruce Campbell's a piece of shit. He probably isn't, uh, but I'm going to assume heard, he is. Because uh, whenever heard, something happens, stories. that's what I'm saying. Because whenever it, whenever shit hits the fan and people are like, see, you like all those Bruce Campbell movies and a piece of shit. I'd be like, no, I assumed he was a piece of shit the whole time. Still like the movie. <laughs> Don't care. Roman Polanski movies? Like Roman Polanski movies. He's a piece of shit. Fuck him. Fuck him right in his face. <laughs> yeah. Uh, on the flip side, though, was announced, I think, t- either today or yesterday, that uh, AEW's uh, teamed up with uh, Owen Hart's widow, and they're going to be doing a bunch of stuff for the Owen Hart Foundation. And so it's the first time since his death that his widow has allowed anything, his name, his likeness or whatever, to be used for wrestling. And so they're putting together a bunch of stuff for the proceeds going to uh, the charity. And I think that means he's going to – it's going to be – she's going to allow, like, his likeness to be used for, like, action figures and stuff like that through the AEW line. And I think uh, as part of the uh, AEW video game that's coming up, okay. I was just super excited that she was allowing it. Because I know she vowed never to let WWE use his image for anything ever again, as far as she legally could. So, yeah. So I'm just glad she's, she at least recognizes there are other people in wrestling who absolutely, you know, loved him and. He's one of those people you never hear bad things about. Everybody said he was one of the best people in wrestling, and of course he ends up dying way too early. I was going to say, and maybe the two members of the Hart family that sided with her instead of with Vince McMahon (laughs) might have a place to go. Uh, Oh, and they're going to do a tournament of a a yearly uh, Owen Hart own heart cup or something so she's letting him letting his name get out into wrestling again which i think is a positive i think Even so if, far for me that the owen hart episode was the worst episode to like digest yeah I, that, I, can, that, I can live with all the evil and all the fucked upness but at the end whenever she's like and so i sued him for killing my husband and the next response is basically all the Hart family being like, that bitch, you know, how how dare she bite Vince McMahon's hand? Doesn't she know we all depend on him for our livings? Mm, yeah, it was like, gross, you're fucking your nephew just died. You know? Yeah. Again, this is why people shouldn't have monopoly power because they will inevitably abuse it to do things like get away with killing people mm-hmm. agreed um, what else did you watch this week Brian I was going to say I guess I can move on to the other two movies that I watched Fuck. Okay. Uh, so we'll talk about more Dark Side of the Ring next week so stay yes. tuned uh, so the other day I watched Warlock the Julian Sands movie Oh, yeah? I don't think I've watched that since maybe junior high, maybe high school. That there. That there is some garbage. (laughs) (laughs) So it's definitely not as good as I remember. Um, But 
after I got done watching it, I'm beginning to think I saw the second one more as a kid. So maybe that's the one I enjoyed more. But I may have to check it out because... How many did they make? Uh, there's three of them. And I know this because I was looking on Amazon right after I got done watching it. And the Vestron three-pack three Blu-ray was $15. So I picked it up. So it should be at my house tomorrow. Um, so, yeah, it's not as good as I remember. Um, some interesting ideas, I guess. Time-traveling warlock with the time-traveling yeah. Richard E. Grant, old, old man Loki, who's the good guy in this. Um, so, yeah, well, not super great, but I have to write, like, an article about it. So I had to rewatch it so I could refresh myself, and maybe it was better left in my head. But I do, I do love the concept. Like, the execution wasn't the best, but it, it is interesting that at some point somebody was like, we need to make another horror movie. Okay, but it's got to be original. Who's the killer going to be? And, like, somebody in the back was like, what if it was, like, an evil wizard? What? <laughs> <laughs> you know, like a evil wizard from one of my D&D campaigns. <laughs> hmm. <laughs> that sounds like money. Yeah, so he's he's trying to collect the three three chapters of this book that have been spread across all across the United States. And apparently if you read it, it will give you the real name of God, and then if you say the name backwards, it unmakes all of reality. So of course they feel the need to stop him. Um yeah, it's alright. I mean it's super late eighties, early nineties special effects. Like all like wizard stuff, like shooting bolts of energy out of your hand and stuff. So it's not super great. So do not recommend. Uh, the other movie I watched, which just popped up on Netflix, is a movie called Kate. The Mar- uh, Mary Elizabeth Winstead and Woody Harrelson. It's not a uh, very original concept. But she is, of course, a world-famous assassin. Or maybe not world-famous, because then she wouldn't be very good at her job. But she's an assassin. Woody Harrelson's like her handler. She has to go try to assassinate this leader of some some mob or something in Japan. Something goes wrong. She ends up poisoned. There is no cure for it. So she has 24 hours to live to hunt down who actually poisoned her and kill them before she dies. Um, yeah, it's an all right movie. I mean, if, if that's the type of movie you're looking for, then this delivers on pretty much everything it promises. Lots of gunfights, lots of uh, newish, you know, action, action scenes, uh, assassinations, weird, like, sort of, like, I don't want to say secret societies, but, you know, secret organizations that she has to weave her way through to find out who it was that poisoned her and all this stuff. So if that sounds like a movie for you, then you will probably end up liking it. I thought it was pretty decent, but not going to change your life or anything. Here's a brief glimpse of some of the truly fine pictures we've scheduled in the near future. Uh, Noah, what are we doing next week? 
well, I figured I would let uh, one of you guys choose. I, I posted the three more hotter weeks in the uh, chat. The hotter weeks? I don't, I don't believe it's up to us to choose. I believe you're the... Mmm. So let's see. We got Retro Thief Part 7, and then Jason Goes to Hell, which is was not the one we agreed upon. Oh, you can change that. Yeah, part seven, part part seven, and part ten. First yeah. time, first time Kane Hodder played Jason. The last time he played Jason, Alligator, Alligator Two, or Wishmaster and Pumpkinhead Two. Which one should we go for, Doug? Al- alligator, Alligator Two. All right, that's it. Alligator and Alligator Two. Kane Hodder in an alligator suit. I hope that's what it is. It is. <laughs> he plays the alligator. Uh, gets the walks on all fours. I mean, not through the whole movie. Some of it's a puppet, but there are several occasions where it is Kane Hodder in an alligator suit. <laughs> kind of love that idea. Which is this? The, what, what year is Alligator and Alligator 2 from? I don't know what movies we're talking about. Late, either late 70s or early. Yeah, uh, it'd be in the '80s. Robert Forrester's an alligator. That's not the one with the where the giant alligator because it was flushed down the toilet and then. I believe it is. Okay, I've seen that uh, one. Alligator, nineteen eighty. Uh, Robert Forrester. And then I've never seen the sequel, so. No. Alligator two: The Mutation. But I think Alligator one holds up pretty well. I think I never saw two because it's called the mutation, and I always thought, well, it's already a mutated alligator in the first one, so that's a silly title. <laughs> D. Wallace is in the second one. I don't see how that could go wrong. <laughs> Mid eighties D. Wallace. Uh, nineteen ninety one D. Wallace. Holy shit! All so, right, um, see how it goes. <laughs> do we know if these are available? I know alligator is because I think I just watched it like six months ago, but. I don't know if the second one's available or not. We'll find it. Yeah, we'll find it either way. Uh, should we talk about what if? I'm going to take both of your silences to mean yes. Uh, yes. Sure. So this week, it's what if Tony Stark ran into Killmonger, and so he didn't get injured in Afghanistan, like in the first movie. How do we feel about this uh, veering off, Doug? I know sometimes you're not happy with the moments they choose to uh, sort of change up. Uh, I've given up on that, basically. <laughs> okay. Uh, my expectations for these series are not full. Like, like we're, we're not getting what I expected, so now I just know that going in. Um, so, I thought this was a neat idea. I like the I, I, First of all, I just like Killmonger coming back because um, mm-hmm. he's awesome. But he's a good I, character. They killed off in the first first time he shows up. It's like fuck. Yeah. Um. I, I thought, yeah, the idea of him teaming him up with Tony Stark is interesting. I like that they. It was true to Tony Stark's character, where they basically played to his uh, his ego, and it was just his downfall completely, because he never got that humbling experience. Which, even though he was still egotistical through the rest of the movies, he'd been beaten into the point of wanting to actually help others where he never had that thing. Mm -hmm. Um, So I thought that was interesting. I was a little disappointed with 
the way it ended where it's like are we doing open endings to these things now on the assumption that we're going to get a conclu- are we going to get a conclusion to this story I or mean, what? they've they've already announced that there is going to be a what if avengers thing that's going to be all these characters that are left untouched. Okay. So you're going to get Spider-Man from the zombie universe and Iron Killmonger, whatever the fuck they're calling him. Black Panther Killmonger? I do, but no, I, I do believe in the thing they called him Iron Killmonger, which I don't know why. He's just Black Panther Killmonger. He just got there a different way. Hmm. And bad Doctor Strange. and yeah. So Amanda was really upset when they killed off uh, Don Cheadle in this one. She has, a, she has a deep love for Don Cheadle, just <laughs> in general. And so when, when Terrence Howard was out and Don Cheadle was in, she was super excited. And then, uh, you know, fast forward about 13 years later, she's her watching What If and going, no! This alternative timeline is terrible. <laughs> right? <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, it's just interesting, like we've mentioned before, I just kind of like seeing, viewing stuff through a different lens of how stuff takes place and just how easily fucking Jeff Bridges' character from Iron Man, they're just like, oh yeah, he's a bad guy, here's the proof, and the, <laughs> the security just comes up and knocks him out. I'm like, well, that's the end of that. Yeah, they're like, no. yeah, we actually looked at the records, and he's just good. Yep. <laughs> but it, again, that's like, because there was somebody there to check Tony's ego a bit, just to push him in a different direction, you see the weakness of that character, right? Whereas, like, yeah, he could he sure. could have done that himself in Iron Man One, but he just didn't because he just had the same trust that allowed Obadiah to take to do what he did in the first Iron Man movie allows Killmonger to do it in this alternate version, right? Mm-hmm. It's yeah. like he just puts this ridiculous faith in people that he shouldn't and has no good reason to. Um, I did like that the Tony started to come around, but it was almost like too little, too late. Yeah. He basically had uh, Jarvis like spying on the whole uh, vibranium trade off and then just presents it like, ha ha, I caught you. And then it's like, oh, fuck, but I'm not Iron Man. So this this sucks. But it raises that interesting thing, too, about like, what is Tony without the suit? What did he say in Avengers? Multi-millionaire eccentric playboy, something yeah. like that. <laughs> that's pretty much true. I did really like the fact that when Killmonger shows him the uh, the plans for his battle suits, he's like, it's a, it's a little uh, bit much, and then he's like, I like anime, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the video I po- I was watching pointed out that his suit is also. Uh, a lot like some guy from Dragon Ball Z or something. Like his, oh, yeah, his, it uh, is. He dresses like Vegeta. Sure. I don't. I don't think I've ever realized that before. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah. I don't know. It's it's interesting how to reframe sort of the entire first like movie of the Marvel universe. And there's weird things that. I'm like, well, that, I don't, this seems off. And then I watched like the Easter egg video and they pointed out like, well, well, T'Challa's sister would be 
couple years younger since this took place before, you know, when Black Panther would have took place. And I'm like, oh, yeah. okay, well, that makes more sense. That's why I was thrown off by how small she was. Yeah, she'd be a child. I was happy seeing Claw again. And then they just killed right? him again. <laughs> like, oh, he's back. Oh, he's dead again. I just, it doesn't it feel like, I, I, in all the Marvel stuff, I feel like they haven't wasted a whole lot of things. They fucking wasted Claw. Yes. Mm-hmm. But more importantly, do you guys think that uh, Andy Circus showed up that day in one of those suits? just ready to cap this whole thing and they're like no we just need your voice man and he's like but and they're like just put the suit back in your car where you probably keep it and he's like he's like no i can't do this you have to give me a headset mic and i have to act this out he's like that's how i do the voice you don't have to motion capture anything but that's how i do the voice it's part of my process <laughs> uh, i assume yes. even for his live action roles he still mo caps it and then they just CGI himself yeah. over himself. Right. He does it twice, once in costume, once without, and then they have to match it up. <laughs> like, Andy, this seems like a way more of an expensive process than just it's like, nope, this is how it works. It's it's his superpower, man. Every time like he probably actually like if you, if you like you need something like mocapped in an emergency, you just probably see him running towards the set, just ripping yeah. his shirt open. He's got the suit on underneath. <laughs> yeah. So somewhere someone on a stage is like, huh, well, I wonder how we mocap this. So then you just hear him like sprinting towards them, r- ripping his shirt open Superman style. Yep. <laughs> uh, so good. Um, yeah, I don't know. It was an interesting episode. I enjoyed it. I liked it. Uh, like I said, uh, yeah, some of these, some of these endings are a little, uh, out of nowhere but yeah we're, i think we're gonna get we're gonna get additional episodes of these universes that will wrap it up and then like noah said i think they're gonna the plan is to wrap them all up into in a multiverse avenger situation now do you think that we're gonna get like um what's the girl version of iron man the little girl turning into iron man is that why they teamed her up with pepper Potts at the end there no, she's being introduced in uh, Wakanda Forever. Okay. They've already announced yeah. that. Right. Yeah, because it's not his sister who becomes Ironheart. Is that her name? I think it might be, but I'm not sure. I was yeah. going to say Ironheart, but then I'm like, if it's wrong, yeah. I'll get yelled at. So I'll just stumble over it like an idiot and not use any yeah. words. Yeah, because I thought that's what they might do before Chadwick Boseman died. I'm like, oh, well, they can just transition his sister over but then uh yeah i think shuri's gonna be black panther yeah she totally is so they've she's she's already been filming she had to go to the hospital because it was some sort of accident on set luckily she was okay but she had to take a couple days off to rest up so yeah i don't know it's been a lot of fun next episode is supposed to be uh uh, what are they calling it? Party Thor? So basically they're saying what if Thor was an only child so he, Loki wasn't around? So he doesn't get that sort of uh, humbling either and just becomes like the braggadocious like spoiled rich kid who just parties all the time. The funny thing is all of these are 
a little bit inconsequential because you're like they all end in the same spot, which is Thanos just wins because without <laughs> the Avengers, they yeah. all end up in that kind of that back there, right? Mm-hmm. Well, I'm actually assuming I think the uh, the multiverse adventure Avengers episode that's coming. I'm guessing zombie Thanos is the best. Oh. There you go. Gotta stop the zombies taking over the multiverse. Uh, it seemed like there was something else I was going to ask. I can't think of who else they said, because they kind of gave a lineup of it. It's going to be like the Ant-Man that's just ahead version. Which may be the best version, let's be honest. I, I hope they bring that into live action. <laughs> uh, Paul Rudd's like, is going to be like, this is going to be great. I just go in and just sit in front of a camera, and then they just CGI everything in. It's going to be awesome. I just, I would have loved to have been in that writer room, because you know somebody was like, hey guys, hey guys, what if, what if we put Paul Rudd's head in a Futurama jar, and he's just <laughs> a, a Ant-Man hit? <laughs> Which they kind of stole from uh, Deadpool a little bit. Because I don't know if you guys, when he was crossing over, trying to find multiple versions of himself, he found his Marvel Zombies counterpart and cut his head off. But the head was still alive. So it just traveled around with him. He just called him Headpool. (laughs) I like that. Yeah. So it would just make like zombie-esque like quips and stuff and keep trying to bite people. I think they eventually put a propeller on his head so he could just fly around. It's ridiculous. <laughs> I know, it makes total sense to me. Yeah, he got he ended up he ended up getting his own team called the Deadpool Corps, and it's just multiverse versions of him. And I think uh, one of my favorites was Panda Pool, which was just a giant panda dressed up like Deadpool. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> and they labeled him as uh, Panda Pool, the species that endangers you. <laughs> which I thought was fantastic. Uh, um, all right. Anything else before we uh, wrap up? No. Well, I think we kind of covered it. It was cool. Yeah, it was a good episode. I was happy with it. My wife would disagree. She would say uh, less less dead Don Cheadle would have made her happy. Armor Wars are coming. She's going to get her fill of Cheadle. No. So I'll have to tell her that there'll be more Cheadle you can deal with. I mean, that's probably 2026, but still. Yeah, I have no idea what their timeline is right now. I think I heard they're putting out like five movies next year. Which I feel like is insane. At some point, they're just going to like, that's just going to be it, right? Theaters are just going to be those movies. I'd be really happy with one Marvel movie a quarter just for for a year. It's perfect. Yeah, I I could even live with less than that, to be honest. As much as I will go see whichever ones eventually, I'm not gonna, not gonna miss them, you know. But I'd, I'd be happy with probably two to three a year. You say that, but did you go see Black Widow? 
Shut up. It's not my fault. <laughs> Did you go see Shang-Chi? Did you go see Candyman yet, Doug? Come on. Oh, I tried. It didn't work out. God damn. With all the time you've got to spare, not happening to clean a house. I do have to clean house. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it's technically just not your house. Yeah. That doesn't make it easier. <laughs> Makes it less pleasant. Please remember to replace the speaker on the post when you leave the theater. And now, folks, it's time to say goodnight. We sincerely appreciate your patronage and hope we've succeeded in bringing you an enjoyable evening of entertainment. Please drive home carefully and come back again soon. Good night.